that imposter syndrome that we that every leader leader experiences at some point or another says that if people knew the real me they would never want me in this position mm. uh, every leader experiences that welcome to hope renewed helping you find new hope when ministry leaves you hopeless the hope renewed podcast is brought to you by PIR ministries here are your hosts Tom Jameson, and Sean Nemechek. Uh, Sean and Roy, it is good to be back with the both of you as we uh, conclude our discussions. It's a third of three opportunities that we've had, uh, Sean, to talk with you uh, specifically about The Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout, your new book that's coming out in a very short time here. Uh, and uh, to welcome back Roy Yankee, our executive director, who's been sitting in co-hosting with me uh, on these. It's Roy, it's been really neat having you here. Appreciate your perspective and your voice on the podcast. So, Sean, as we've been doing, just ask if you would uh, once again kind of give us a flyover of the three sections of your book that we've been talking about and a little brief um, uh, preview of what this third section is all about. The book is broken up into three sections. Um, the first is about understanding burnout. It's, as I said last time, kind of on the map. It's it's the location marker that says this is where you are. Uh, it's designed to help you understand what burnout is and what contributes to it. Part two, we, dis- uh, we talked about last time. Uh, that's really the steps that we need to work through in order to recover from burnout. Uh, it's in a very logical, progressive order uh, so that uh, we build a solid foundation in connection and in Christ first. Now, in this third part of the book, things change a little bit. Uh, we move from more direct teaching uh, to kind of a, a metaphor. We use a journey of moving from the desert of burnout uh, through uh, the dark valley Uh, into the mountains, and finally to the beautiful shore of God's love for us. And uh, really, this this journey is is one of the most important journeys we can make. Um, And I just want to issue a warning as we get started. I talk about this journey in my book in very very idealistic ways, because I want to paint Mm -hmm. the fullest picture of what it is. But I, I issue a warning that don't try to arrive all at once, uh, that it's it's really more about making what steps you can day by day and moving toward uh, this goal. And you may find yourself doing this in cycles. Um, mm-hmm. As we talk about this, these things, uh, you may come back around to uh, having to learn some of the practices again and, and re-experience them again. And that's okay. That's the way we learn. The whole book is really written in several cycles uh, because our spiritual life, our growth, our development in Christ happens in cycles. Uh, hmm. And and each time we get a little bit deeper, uh, a little bit closer to Christ. And that's the goal. Yeah. And, and the metaphor of the journey really does kind of uh, lend itself to the entire book, a, a your subtitle, A Journey from Exhaustion to Wholeness. And and you left us the last time with um, just that that perspective that uh, working your way out of burnout is a long journey. 
uh, and there's a lot of work to it. But, but there is hope. There, there is perhaps a day when someone who's experienced burnout, as you did, can say, I don't think I'm burned out anymore. Is that right? Yeah, that's a great day. <laughs> yeah. when, it, when it dawns on you, hey, I'm actually healthy and feeling pretty confident and whole again. This is this is a wonderful feeling. Yeah. But it, it does happen gradually and takes a long time. Mm-hmm. That's not to so, say that, that you can't make some major changes in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, usually people who, who turn their attention toward really working on their burnout, especially with the help of a coach, um, can do so really in three to six months, they'll feel a lot better, Uh, but Mm. it probably is going to take three to five years or more um, to recover from burnout. And in some cases it's a lifelong journey. Um, Right. The scars remain. And, but after a few years, you feel a lot, a lot better. So uh, don't, don't let that discourage you that, uh, um, that recovery isn't possible. It it certainly is. And it's not only possible, it's able to, live in that new way. Yeah. Uh, and, and you talk about that in this section. Uh, you begin it with this chapter, never burn out again. Uh, is that is that a uh, guarantee you're giving with the book that if someone <laughs> follows your steps? <laughs> well, I, I think with certain changes, uh, with certain practices, burnout does become impossible. But we can always regress into the, the ways and the patterns that led to burnout. So I would like to be able to offer a guarantee, but really whether or not we remain in burnout or even whether or not we recover from burnout depends on the individual work that we do. Um, not just the knowledge that we have, but uh, the actual work that we do. So it, it depends on the individual. Uh, we know that that um, repetition is the... Uh the mother of learning, right? Mm -hmm. And by, in a lot of disciplines, the importance of repeated um, disciplines, habits, patterns, really leads to the the goal that you want to achieve. And so, you know, that cycle is is very much a part, at least for my journey, uh, coming back around to things over and over again, and knowing that each step in that it increases the health that occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I love the idea too that um, you just the descriptions you give at the very beginning of this. It's not just a journey from; it's a journey to, right? Yeah, we're really moving away from burnout, but there's different ways you can move away from burnout. Um, you can go back to your old way of life in your old pattern. And you'll be back at burnout again eventually. Um, you know, you make a few changes, you get a little bit healthy, and then you just go back to doing the same old things. And yeah, and that's that's what I did the first couple of times. Burnout can happen in those cycles. But each time it gets a little bit harder, a little bit deeper. Um, and so uh, that really isn't an effective thing. You can also move away from life in general. You can move to a different career and try and uh, answer your burnout by changing careers. And the, the problem is the problems that are happening in you go with you wherever you go. Um, and so moving to a different career doesn't always solve the problem. Uh, 
it may be necessary for a little while, um, but it's it's not an answer. Um, and then others just they check out of life altogether, um, whether they just stop living uh, or commit suicide or something tragic like that. Um, that doesn't again guarantee that uh, the problems end. Um, the checking out of life and just stopping what you're doing actually creates more problems. So really the only way I see to, to really work your way out of burnout, to really become burnout proof is through these steps uh, that we're going to describe in these few chapters. It starts with moving from that desert of burnout into the dark Valley of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, Every instance of burnout involves loss of some kind or another. Uh, Sometimes it's because of unprocessed grief that we burn out. Other times, because of our burnout, there's various losses that need to be grieved. Uh, But it starts by moving into that space of learning to handle grief well. And thankfully, um, we have uh, a practice in Scripture called lament that helps us to understand how to grieve and how to do it well in God's presence. And uh, so, yeah, that's what that that first uh, chapter in this section is about, just learning to lament well, uh, because lament is actually a doorway to joy. Uh, the more we process our grief, the more we open ourselves up to joy. Say more about that, because that that's a, a, such a deep truth, and it is counterintuitive. I mean... Uh, yeah, so when... Uh, when most pastors are experiencing burnout, most leaders are experiencing burnout, there's certain emotions that come to the surface, especially connected to the anxiety and shame. And uh, rather than dealing with those emotions, we often try and shut them down. Uh, sometimes they're increased sadness, um, depression, anger is a big one that pops up and uh, everybody mm-hmm. knows that an angry pastor just doesn't look good. So we shove down that, that anger, that sadness, that grief as deep as we can. And we say, we'll deal with it later. Um, sometimes in ministry, there are times where we have to do that. When we're ministering to a family who's in grief, we can't process our own grief at the same time. And so we, right. we say, we're going to set that aside for a while, but if we never come back to it, it just festers inside. And so by shutting down these emotions, uh, what we don't realize is you can't just flip one switch at a time. You can't just shut off grief or just shut off sadness or just shut off anger. Um, they're like uh, sliders that are all connected on a, a soundboard or something. When you slide one down, the all, all the others go down with it. So all if you mute the negative emotions, you're also muting the positive emotions. So... Hmm. By turning off our anger or shoving our anger down deep, we're also reducing our ability to experience joy and happiness, uh, peace and well-being. Uh, And so everything becomes muted. Uh, Pastors who are in burnout will talk about life just feeling kind of drab and gray. Um, Mm -hmm. Like there's there's just no uh, emotion left. They feel numb. Well, this is what's happened. They've shut all these things down. So you have to express those negative emotions in order to access the positive ones again. And learning the process of lament 
uh, is incredibly helpful in doing that. A lot of pastors avoid lament, even though about a third to a half of the psalms are psalms of lament. Uh, mm. A lot of pastors avoid lament because they're afraid of being honest with God. Uh, let that sink in for just a second. If we're afraid of being honest with God, then what are we doing? <laughs> mm. Being dishonest, right? Mm -hmm. um, so coming back to God in complete honesty, and, and when lament's done well, it is raw emotion. You, you are not censoring your words. You're not coming to God in politeness and, and um, you know, good theological language or anything like that. <laughs> you're, you're like a child throwing a temper tantrum. You're, you're just coming to God and saying, this is not right, whatever this is. Um, in a world created by a good God, this is not right. And we're bringing our complaint to God, sometimes even blaming God. And a lot of people think it's it's wrong or sinful to be angry yeah. with God, but I think God would rather us be truthful about our anger than to lie and say, no, this isn't happening. And he's big enough to take it. Um, every parent knows what it's like to hold a, a child who's throwing a temper tantrum. It's not pleasant, but we do it because we love our kids. We don't want them to hurt themselves. We want to help them find calm. And this is what God kind of does with us when we're in lament. He He provides that space where we can receive his love and his healing again. When we get all that raw emotion out, when we just vent until there's absolutely nothing left, uh, the only thing that remains is God, and his love, and his grace for us. And that's where we can see joy and hope again. So on this journey, you move through lament. It doesn't become the valley in which you live, or prayerfully, it's not the place where you get stuck, but um, you're journeying through. Where? What's the next step? Well, we move out of lament um, to what I call the, the mountains of self. Uh, this is like coming up against the Rocky Mountains uh, and trying to find a way across. It's imposing. It's intimidating. Um, but what we're really doing is is learning to face our false self, um, mm. and it's a mountain of resistance to God. Um, what we're doing is is encountering our own ways that we have been resisting God and His ways. And we're learning to surrender. Um, this is this is hard. This is difficult work. But mm. um, when we hit that that wall of, of these mountains, um, we have to find a way through them. And the way through becomes the way of the cross, following Christ into the garden, um, to the cross, into the tomb until we're finally resurrected into this new way of being. And so that metaphor of the way of the cross uh, kind of becomes the foundation for the work that we have to do here. Uh, we have to pray the prayer of total surrender, of uh, what's sometimes been called holy indifference that Christ prays in the garden. Not my will, not my will, but yours, yours be done. Uh, where again and again we're praying this, uh, this prayer that seems impossible, something that we cannot do unless we're given this miraculous grace of God to actually 
desire his will. Um, and when that happens, um, it is a beautiful thing, but it, it, it involves a long, hard, intense time of prayer, seeking God's will and surrendering your own. And it's only after that that we're able to really say, all right, I'm going to die to this false self, this resistance that I've put up. I'm going to tear down all those resistance, all those barriers, everything that's separating me from God, that's making God feel like he's distant or he's silent. It's really just my resistance I've been putting up all the time. I'm going to tear that down, and I'm just going to be honest with God about who I am, where I am, and let his will be my own. Um, That's what leads us into this new way of being. But we have to sit in that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And that becomes like the tomb for us, the darkness of sitting with that change mm-hmm. uh, before we're finally resurrected into God's love in a new way. And that that takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith. Yeah. And it's, you know, last time we talked about how important it is to surround yourself with those who uh others who are safe and who are for you and who are hope-giving. Uh, and yet this is a place you really have to go to by yourself. Yeah. You can get some help here from counselors and spiritual directors. A spiritual director is particularly helpful in this space. Um, mm-hmm. But really the work has to be done on your own. Yeah. Um, and this is why it's important to have those other connections and the other things that we've talked about uh, because You want to be in that sure and secure place that gives you the courage to face yourself. Mm -hmm. If you try and do this without having an identity rooted in Christ, um, you're just going to be bumping up against yourself and you'll end up just beating yourself up over and over and over again. Um, Mm -hmm. This is really, really hard work. Mm -hmm. But in the end, we're we're learning to, to recognize that our false self, our, our, Resistance to God is often rooted in a number of things that we've talked about already, you know, Mm -hmm. patterns that we learned early on, false religious teachings or incomplete teachings that we've had in our past. Uh, We learn to to expand our view of God um, beyond the boxes that we've kind of put him in. Uh, All of that is hard. It's difficult work. But uh, it's part of part of the work of moving through this period because all of those boxes are part of our resistance. They're part of our our trying to keep God away from who we truly are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this work is is mm-hmm. difficult. It is hard. There have been several times, Sean, that I've noticed in in this that the issue of silence and solitude has come out um, mm-hmm. in, as a as a part of the. Um, self-awareness piece, but also now in terms of resilience uh, and how that um, gets to this idea of surrender, you know, where, what place the, does that practice have in this? Yeah. The, the importance of silence and solitude uh, cannot be underestimated. It's, it is really crucial work. Um, I think it was Henry Nouwen who said that without silence and solitude, spiritual progress is impossible. Uh, at some point, we have to have to come to the point where we are willing to be silent before God. This does a couple of things for us. One, it helps us to remember God's presence. 
and learn to just be comfortable in his presence. The second thing it does is it silences the noise in our lives. Learning to truly be silent before God can take days before we get there. Amy and I went on a a week-long prayer retreat that was paid for by Broomtree Ministries, and they warned us, it's going to be two or three days before you really feel that you're present and attentive to God. And day two, Amy's like, I don't know. I think this silence and solitude thing isn't working. I'm not doing it right, you know? <laughs> and, and and I completely identified with what she's saying. And I said, well, maybe it's not about what we're doing. Maybe we're just supposed to be here for a time, should God desire to speak. And then that that really helped her to to try and stop the striving to make something happen. Hmm. Um, and so it took two or th- three days. I think for me, it was a full three days before all the noise from ministry and the stress of life and everything was left behind. And I was, it was just me and God. And when that happens, then stuff starts to come to the surface. When you're safe in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit starts to stir things up in your soul and bring things to the surface that need to be healed. And this is where you're able to very gently and openly talk with God about the resistance you're experiencing in your soul. And and that's where God does his best healing work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Without silence and solitude, this this work would be impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And such a difficult work to do. Uh, but good work. So, so uh, making your way through the mountains, dismantling the wall, uh, all that imagery, coming out on the other side. Uh, how how is that building resi- resilience? And uh, what do you see? So, when we we get to the place where we are surrendered to God, um, the idea of absolute surrender comes to, into play here. But. I, I want to be careful. I, I I don't want people to think that you have to be perfect in this. This is, again, something we learn gradually. We learn little by little. Emerging from the mountains of self into the beautiful shore of God's love, the, the, the wonderful, green, uh, beautiful valleys. If you think of like California's lush, green valleys, that's that's kind of the idea of what we're talking about here is this is a good place to be. But it feels a little unsettling at first. It takes a little while to adjust. Uh, it's kind of like stepping from a dark room into a bright, sunlit day. Um, or I likened it to uh, to moving from one city to another, and you wake up in a strange house, and you're not used to the way things are. It takes a little while to adjust, to really continually seek God's will, and remain in his love. But as we do that, pretty soon, the love of God takes root in our souls, takes root in the the heart of who we are, the center of who we are, and it begins to bubble up within us. The more we experience God's love for us in in a way that isn't resistant but is surrendered, the more we desire God's will because we know it's good for us and good for others, it just starts to bubble up within us and naturally begins to flow out of us. And, and this is, I think, one of the keys to overcoming burnout, is learning to do ministry in a way that is natural um, and is is rooted in God's love for you, flowing into you and out of you toward others. 
It isn't performative. It isn't striving. It's not hurried. It's not manufactured. It's not a, uh, you know, a big production that we do. It's actually simple and quiet and slow. Um, but it's genuine and you, you have this presence about you that is welcoming um, to people. And mm. it's very different from what uh, we're often experiencing in churches today. But it also means that you might find yourself having difficulty ministering within the context that you were in before. People expecting you to be driven, expecting you to strive, expecting you to, to do all the stuff you did before. And now you're saying, no, that's, that's not what God is calling me to do. Um, I'm clear now on what God wants me to do, and I'm going to stay focused on that. And so you start saying no to people a lot more so that you can say yes to the love of God being expressed through mm -hmm. you. And that means some people are going to be upset. They're, they may even think you've kind of lost it, that you've you've left the faith altogether, or you're, you're uh, uh, moving in the wrong direction because you're not so focused on the the outward performance, the works, the service um, that we feel guilted into. You're, you're more relaxed. You're more gentle uh, in the way that you go about things. And so it, it takes people a while to adjust. Mm. That's if, a real culture you... clash, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was struck too um, in this chapter, particularly by adopting a beginner's mindset. Mm -hmm. Um Deb, when she was beginning to ride, um, she discovered that adults don't like to be beginners. <laughs> we don't like to have to start again and and try new things and go slow through that and learn that. Um, so are there some specific things that you mentioned that can help people adopt that kind of a mindset in this? Because it's it seems to me this is really important. Yeah, I think... It Adopting a beginner's mindset is is partially recognizing that we don't have to have answers for everything, that sometimes our certainty or certitude is actually the enemy of love. Um, and we, there are certain things in Scripture that we just have to accept as mystery and don't feel like we have to explain them to others. And that's okay. Being, being okay with mystery and wonder again is part of what it means to be a beginner. Saying I don't know is is a powerful spiritual discipline, mm. uh, and it's good. It's helpful, and it's a hard one for me to learn. Mm. Um, and and so all of that is is part of what it means to trust that God is the one with the answers. He is the one who's responsible for the outcomes. He is the one who's responsible for the provision. All those things aren't things that we are called to generate. Uh, we are called to be faithful and to trust God. And a beginner has to trust their teacher. Mm. They have to they have to trust the one who's leading them because they're they're essentially saying, I don't understand. I don't know. It sounds like humility to me. Yeah, there is there is humility in in being a, a beginner again. Mm. Um and, and when you've done the work of Deep lament and processing your grief. You end up like Job saying at the end of the book, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth now. Uh, I don't know what I was talking about. You know far better than I do speaking to God. When you've gone through the way of the cross, 
and you've prayed for God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. You've just sought that, and you've been willing to give up your resistance. All of that is a way of saying, I, I don't know. I don't have the answers, and that's okay. And so you can't help but be a beginner in this space. So as you move in this journey uh, and reach those hallowed shores uh, and and learn to live there uh, in a newness of life, uh, you you talk about in the in the final chapter here about beyond burnout and and just um, highlighting uh, what what an authentic healthy Christian leader looks like. I, I love that you didn't start the book with this. Because too often that's, you know, we think, oh, if I can just, you know, start doing those things, I'll, I'll be better. But that this, this is only something that's attained through the long and difficult and uh, soul level work. Uh, but walk through this with us. What, what do you see as, as the descriptors of a healthy Christian leader? Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that, um, as I said, in, when we were looking at what burnout is, uh, that that we talked about burnout as being that depletion of self, that that time where our interior life with God isn't sufficient to sustain our outer work for God, that recovery, um, when we're whole again, it, it's it's really when our whole life proceeds out of our relationship with God. When our our love uh, and God's love flows naturally from our hearts, um, and so that tells us that the focus is is not on what we're doing, but on who we're becoming mm-hmm. in God's presence. Um, and so, as I talk about these different characteristics of uh, healthy leaders, it's important to recognize that that these people uh, these aren't things we do so much as people we are, people we've become, mm-hmm. uh, and they flow naturally out of us. So um, the first thing is is we're real. Uh, we're no longer putting up that facade. We're okay with our faults, with our weaknesses, with our limits, and we're able to speak those out and not do so from uh, from a place of anxiety or shame, but do them from a comfortable acceptance uh, because of our security in Christ. Uh, and so we're able to to just be genuine and vulnerable with others and not be afraid of their reactions to the the truthful things we say about ourselves. One of the things um, that that really stands out to me, and I'm kind of getting choked up here as I think about it, is when, when a pastor has has worked their way through burnout or through some major sin, and they, they really get to the place of repentance and full acceptance of God's grace. They're able to look back on that time and speak about their their burnout or their sin with honesty and not be afraid of what people will think of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be able to tell the story of what they've done as an expression of God's grace in their lives, not about the shame that they carry because of it. Um, and that's I think that's what it means to be real. The healthy leader will also be connected with others. Uh, they'll they'll not just be able to be truthful in themselves, but they'll have built a team of people around them now. They'll have more friends. They'll have relationships. They'll have people they can go to when they're in trouble. Uh, this is where those mentors, counselors, spiritual directors, coaches, friends, they all come into play here. And uh, uh, 
beyond that, just having some some healthy relationships will be important. Um, whenever you you find a leader that's disconnected, they're in danger of being isolated. A healthy leader does not let that happen. They've taken mm. ownership for the fact that they are the only ones who can prevent isolation by connecting with others. Um, and they're they're doing that and doing it well. This this might mean, you know, like for solo pastors, they're connecting with other pastors via Zoom or with friends in other areas, but they're making sure they're getting the relational connection that they need to be seen and heard and known. Healthy leaders are also purposeful. They've rediscovered their sense of call. Um, they they recognize the work that they're doing um, is good work, and it's part of what God has called them to. Um, their vision isn't a, a product of their intelligence or their gifts anymore. Their vision for life and work and ministry comes from God now. Mm. Um and it's it's often leading them back into the places where they were wounded. Um, Rick Warren talks about, and, and Dan Allender too talks about how our our ministry often comes from our deepest deepest woundedness. Um, and so now that wound has been so transformed that we're able to then give it to others as mm-hmm. a, a purpose for our lives and, and healing. And as we do that, we find we're healed further too. Uh, the more pastors I coach through burnout, the more I heal my own burnout. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's part of this process. Um, these healers, these leaders are, are also brave. They're able to face the anxieties and fears and worries of life with courage. Um, courage isn't being absent of fear. It's being able to be present in the middle of that fear and still mm-hmm. move forward. And so the, the bravery that we have, the courage that we have, co- goes all the way back to that security of being rooted in Christ and united to him and knowing that we are fully and permanently loved by God, that we have nothing to fear, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. Um, and so we're able to, to step forward in life with that, that courage that says life can do its worst, but we're going to mm-hmm. continue because... God is our rock and he's our our salvation. And, and related to that, these leaders then become gracious. They're more able to, um, to deal with the shortcomings of others, with the failures of others in gracious ways. They're also more willing to face their own failures and faults and disappointments uh, with peace and gratitude uh, and grace uh, toward themselves. Uh, so, uh, those are, are kind of the kind of the big picture ideas of what a healthy leader looks like. So um, one of the things that when you talk about uh, being real mm-hmm. um, and how important that is, um, know that in in work that you do in addiction, um, it's important to understand that you are you are becoming more who you really were mm-hmm. in this process. And um, the lie that uh, we often live with is that even as pastors, and it doesn't have to be some major sin or or anything like that, but it could certainly apply in this, I think, is that um, we believe a lie that if we share what's really going on in our lives, that people will run away from us. They will not like us. 
they will think we're faulty or um, that that we aren't aren't worth um, being known by them. And so, um, being able to step into that reality, that authenticity, is huge because it's combating that lie uh, that we so often believe. Yeah, that imposter syndrome that we that every leader leader experiences at some point or another says that if people knew the real me, they would never want me in this position. Mm. Uh, every leader experiences that. The reality that that I want to present in this is that I'm not great at all of these things, but I'm getting better. I'm mm. moving in this direction. Right. Um, and this chapter isn't really about describing a destination. It's about describing the journey that we're on. Mm. Um, and that's so pe- good. People who focus on the destination usually end up feeling frustrated and uh, tired and and uh, beating themselves up. People who focus on the journey end up enjoying the process. Um, and so recognizing that this is who we're becoming again, it's not about what we're mm-hmm. doing. It's about what we're becoming. Uh, and that becoming is a process um, is really helpful in, in hearing all of this, because as you go through these last few chapters in the book, it could be very easily, uh, very easy to say, this is, this is too, uh, flowery, too too beautiful for it to be real. Just know that that it's not too much. It's not impossible with God. All things are possible. Amen. But it's it's a process. We're moving in this direction. We're moving toward the promises of God for us in Christ. And many of those promises won't ever be realized until we're on the new heaven and new earth mm-hmm. and all together in in fully healed. Uh, and and resurrected bodies. Um, so just give yourself some grace. Recognize yeah, is. this is a journey. Yeah, right. it, it's 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 engaging in the journey, trusting God for the destination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of mm-hmm. course, the destination is, you know, to be like Christ fully, to be with God forever. But in the meantime, we we do the work. Uh and and part of that, you recommend a couple of, of um, tools that that help along the way. Uh, just briefly, talk about sabbaticals and a rule of life. Well, in the book, we have a, a guide for Sabbath, um, not sabbaticals. It's, it's, it's for Sabbath, um, where we talk about um, back in the, the chapter on soul care, I mentioned Sabbath briefly because in the appendix, the first appendix, it's really about planning your Sabbath and just creating a day that is the best, most life-giving day of the week. And so that first appendix um, helps you to work through some of the the questions that you need to ask so that you can have a set of options uh, so you can plan your Sabbath day well. Um, a lot of pastors get to the Sabbath, uh, get to that day of rest, and they ask, now, what am I going to do today? And it just ends up being a boring, tiring day of doing nothing. They know they're not supposed to work, but what am I going to do? This Sabbath planning guide is is really designed to ask, uh, what would be life-giving? Who would be life-giving? Um, what do we want to eat? What do we want to uh, drink? What do we want to uh, play at? What what spiritual disciplines do we need to have on this day? And it, it really helps us to grow um, 
into that that best, most life-giving day of the week. The second appendix is uh, about planning a rule of life, and this comes from the last chapter in the book. The very end of the book, I talk about a rule of life as a tool where you can actually bring everything we've talked about in the book together and just develop a system that helps you maintain health and wholeness. Mm. So when people hear the word rule, they think of rules as in do's and don'ts, things you can do or can't do, or rules. For, it's it's more like uh, a rule that uh, you would use in measuring, uh, in carpentry or building a house, like a, a mm. plum where you you determine whether or not this this two by four is actually vertical or a straight edge where you can measure a board and see, does, does this board actually sit straight or is there a twist in it? Is there parts missing? Mm-hmm. It's a way of, of evaluating your life uh, for health, for wholeness, for uh, integrity. Uh, and so in a rule of life, you would look back over all the different things that we talked about in the book. For example, your rhythms, your energy. And uh, you would ask, where's my best, uh, most energizing time of the day where I can do my best, most important work. And you would chart that out on your day. And then you would look at where are the times where I need refreshment. And you might insert rests in the day that also include times of prayer or other spiritual disciplines that will replenish your resources. Or maybe there are times of connection with friends. Um, you, you, they would include things like uh, healthy eating and exercise and, and really anything that you need uh, for life. And, and you would put this in your daily rhythms, your weekly rhythms, your monthly rhythms, and your seasonal rhythms. Um, and so you create this, this document that tells you this is what it looks like when I'm my best self when I'm healthy and whole. Mm. These are the things I need to have in place in each of these times. And you'll approach this playfully, meaning you're free to change it at any time. If something mm-hmm. in your rule of life is not helping you, it's it's not working, um, feel free to swap that out for something else. Cut it out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm. Um, and so all the work that that these uh, leaders have done through the rest of the book. They're able to look back through all of this stuff and um, really pick and choose from it what they think will be most beneficial for them. And it's by maintaining this rule of life, which isn't easy. It is hard to live in that consistently, um, especially at first. But by maintaining this rule of life, they're pretty much guaranteeing they're not going to burn out again. Mm. Um, because they have everything they need to to be resilient right there in place. And, and I should mention um, that there's going to be a workbook uh, that's a free download that goes with this book that has extra practices uh, that will be part of it. it will, there will be a burnout assessment in there. Uh, there'll be uh, a guide on how to do a genogram, uh, how to plan your rule of life, all sorts of different things uh, in there for each chapter that as they're going through the book, they can do the work and have everything there that they need to form their rule of life when they get to the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'll be super helpful. Yeah. And, and hope giving not only because of the practical nature of it, that, Oh, there is, there is a way through this, but, but just 
the reminder that that uh, God is ever present and ever working uh, and ever for us. You know, there's a phrase that, that you use at the beginning of the book and the end of the book, and I I almost think you want it to be the title of the book at one point in its iterations, better after broken. Mm-hmm. Um, just to end us with your thoughts about that. That was actually the original title of the book. Um, and those parts we left in there just kind of as a nod uh, to that. But really, that's the idea behind this whole book, that when you're in burnout, you feel broken. But that's not the end. Um, that God is using this burnout if you're willing to cooperate with him to grow you into being a better leader and a better pastor, better person than you ever were before. Hmm. He's bringing you back to your true self in Christ. And um, you're going to be better after broken when you do the work, uh, Mm -hmm. when you're willing to allow the spirit to lead you through this whole process. He does some amazing things and people will comment on that. Um, they'll talk about how you're more present, how you're less driven, how you're less anxious, how you're more secure and more stable, how you're more open and vulnerable with people, um, and yet not needy. Uh, so it's it's really a powerful thing to see what other people say about you when you've done the work. And it doesn't it magnify the grace of God in that way, too, because you're also able to talk about those broken pieces as God reforms you and reconnects you in those ways and, and be honest about that and, and to know that God does that transforming work. We don't have to mm. deny those things like yep. they never existed, right? Mm. Yep. Yeah. And, and you'll be able to talk about the work that you've done. But you won't be taking credit for any of the change. You'll you'll recognize that God is the one who brought you through each step of the way, that even though there was a lot of hard work, there was even far more grace involved in every yeah. little bit of it. And mm-hmm. and our lives become a testimony to the grace of God. Yeah. And mm-hmm. isn't that what ministry is all about? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. To see Christ. Yeah. Well, Sean, thanks so much for uh well for a lot of different things, but in terms of the podcast, for spending this time to go so deep. Roy, it's been great having you here, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I think Sean and I might be in in a little trouble for our jobs here. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. You guys do an awesome uh, job. Oh, we do appreciate you. Sean, I'd like to give you the last word of the day in terms of speaking uh, words of hope. What What would you offer to our listeners today? Yeah, before I say that, I just want to say thanks for doing this, guys. Um, Mm -hmm. My respect for both of you is just off the charts, and um, it's just a joy to serve alongside you in PIR and see the good work that that you're doing and and that we're doing together. And uh, so thank you for the opportunity to share all of this and, and to promote my book a little bit. Words of hope I would like to offer to pastors and their families is you are more loved than you can ever imagine. And that love that God has for you in Christ is so abundantly secure. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. And I know you may not feel it in the moment, uh, but it's there. And God is so proud of you because he has adopted you as his child. 
He loves you. He rejoices over you with singing. And I just want you to know that there is nothing in this world or any world that can separate you from the love of Christ. And so, you can step forward into the security and joy of knowing you are fully and permanently loved by God. Because of that, you have you have nothing to fear. There's nothing in this life that can take you away from God's love and his perfect plan for you. You have nothing to lose. God is watching over your every step, and he will provide for your needs as he sees fit. And you have nothing to prove because Christ has done it all. You are living in the full benefits of his perfect obedience to the Father and the fact that he's seated at the Father's right hand right now. You are seated with him, and so you are more loved and more secure than you can ever imagine. Amen. 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 Thank you. And Sean's book, The Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout, A Journey from Exhaustion to Wholeness, hits the market on March 28th. It will be available um, at any Christian booksellers, but you can order it now on Amazon, on Christian book distributors, or go to bakerbookhouse.com and uh, order a copy there. All right. And you can always check uh, uh, pirministries.org, our website, and get information there. Friends, it's been great having you here today. Thanks for listening. We hope you visit also our podcast website, hoperenewedpodcast.com. Share your thoughts with us. And uh, we pray God's blessing upon you as you put your hope in Him. Thank you for joining us on Hope Renewed. Please, Help us reach more pastors by sharing this episode with your friends. If you enjoy this podcast, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, or your favorite platform for receiving podcasts. Thank you. This means the world to us. The Hope Renewed Podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. At PIR, we partner with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration. Pastors, our goal is to help you cultivate new hope for healthy life and ministry. We do this by building relationships. We train both pastors and churches to promote a culture of ministry health. If you've experienced a forced exit from ministry, we provide a process of restoration for you and your family. We also have proven resources and tools to assist you in the challenges of ministry life. To contact us or to learn more about PIR, visit PIRministries.org.